The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold right here on the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, thank you so much. Seriously, the numbers are through the roof. People are listening. You guys are obviously sharing this with your friends and family. And so we are teaching people about technocratic transhumanism. We're teaching them about what is really going on behind the scenes in this country and around the world. And so the fact that we are getting this message out there really excites me it motivates me to continue to do these deep dive investigations into the tenets of technocratic transhumanism and so everything we're doing here is worth it folks seriously this stuff is the engineering of humanity out of existence and the more people that know about this the more that we can push back at least in our own individual respective lives we can withdraw from the system as much as possible we've learned to just say no to certain smart technologies and like myself with my wife how we moved out of the traditional hospital system and we we took a midwifery on and a doula for the birth of our coming child you can walk the walk you can live one foot in the matrix and one foot out of the matrix and so it's amazing and thank you to everybody who's gone over to apple Podcasts, left a five-star review and a comment thank you to everyone who has jumped over to wisdom.app slash dustin gold show slash ask and ask the question The link is available in the description of this podcast. You can do that anonymously without having to download the app. And so since you've been using it, we're going to work that into the show probably next week. So you can ask me a question in text format, and I'll respond with a 60-second answer. And then soon we're going to start doing live discussions over at Wisdom. Also, you can join the discussion at uh, Telegram. It's t.me slash Dustin Gold Show and there's a group the gold pillars and then also the people who've joined over at twitter at the dustin gold show or at hackable animal and of course everyone who has joined pain.tv slash gold where you're getting access to the ad-free video version of the dustin gold standard and the thomas Payne podcast and also joining a community of like-minded folks where they're talking about farming and gardening and canning and following all the technology and all the scams and all the schemes that are going on in this country trying to stay ahead of the curve trying to better plan for the future so that you can make decisions on how much you are willing to put up with this prison planet matrix technocracy 
and so that you can educate your children and your grandchildren. So thank you very much to everyone. We left off the last episode 54 talking about MKUltra, talking about Operation Paperclip, reviewing a podcast interview with journalist Stephen Kinzer, who is known as the foremost expert on MKUltra, which was the program uh, that we built out of the Nazis in which uh, Sidney Gottlieb, this chemist for the CIA, pretty much under the supervision of the CIA director at the time, Alan Dulles, who was allowed to literally torture and murder people uh, as they used LSD and other psychedelics to mind bend, to mind break, to mind control unwitting people, both in this country, the United States, and in secret prison torture chambers that Gottlieb was allowed to set up. Uh, under the direction of the CIA. And then we tie that into some of the programs that are going on today under DARPA, the Brain Initiative, uh, under the Army, the Cyborg Soldier 2050 Project. And we've analyzed many podcasts and lectures by various doctors, Dr. Charles Morgan III, Dr. Peter Emanuel, Dr. Diane DeUlius, and we're working our way over to Dr. James Giordano, as you know. And so what we're going to do on episode 56 is we're going to get back into the MK Ultra project. We're going to finish up analyzing the podcast by Stephen Kinzer, and I'm going to show you all of the new psychedelic projects that we're launching in this country that are backed by the United States government. We are right back to MKUltra, which supposedly ended somewhere between the early 60s and early 70s, although I make the case that it never actually ended. It has to do with all of this mind control stuff that we're doing to this day, including Elon Musk Neuralink Project, which is really just a project uh, of the government, and he's really the front man but what we decided to do today for tonight's episode 55 sunday night monday morning is i was able to get a guest an old buddy of mine old colleague magdalene rose i met her many years ago through maria albanese the co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on fridays and Magdalene is a wealth of knowledge. She is a young conservative. She has her hands in a lot of different projects, in a lot of different areas of politics. And I'll just briefly give you her bio. Uh, she is currently a college junior pursuing a degree in interdisciplinary studies and theology at a Catholic university here in the U.S. She first became involved in American politics in early 2018, and she will get into that. She is the host of the Magdalene Rose Report on the McFiles Network. And if you want to check her out or follow her, you can. I put all of the links in the podcast description. Uh, on her show, she interviews politicians, education experts, and activists to cover American politics, the American education system, societal issues, and political strategy. She is also currently the director for social media for Republicans for National Renewal. She's a live streamer. She's passionate about ending abortion. 
and she is the author of the pro-life children's book, I Can Hear You, the story of a not-yet-born human being. Her main areas of focus and interest are political strategy and education, and her goal is to find solutions to strengthen, improve, and overhaul the American education system. And you would say to yourself, Dustin, why the hell are you interviewing Magdalene Rose when you claim to be post-political, post-politics. And the reason why, folks, is that Magdalene is young. She's 22 years old. She got into this stuff when she was in her teens, and she will explain why. And so she has her ear to the ground, folks. She is on the street level. She is also very aware of all of the grifters and the grifter networks within the MAGA movement, within the so-called conservative movement and so as i started to realize that we need to figure out how to get this information that i've been presenting the research that i have been delivering to you the dissecting and analyzing and connecting the dots of all of the technocratic transhumanist projects that are going on in the united states and around the world we have to reach the younger people Because I keep talking to you uh, about the fact that we need to educate our children and grandchildren. I need to figure out how to package this content in a way that younger people may grasp onto it. To get them to reject some of this smart technology. To get them to step outside the box that Klaus Schwab, Yuval Noah Harari, and the World Economic Forum wants to put them into. To figure out how to give them the tools to live one foot in the matrix and one foot out of the matrix. And so I said, you know, I've got to have a conversation with Magdalene. We might as well make it uh, an episode And so that's what we did. And folks, we talked about everything from her areas of interest to what conservatism means to her, to what's really going on behind the scenes, to the grifters, to someone like herself that has decided to carve out sort of an independent career. She's in various areas from politics to homeschooling, uh, what she's planning on doing when she's done with college. And uh, I learned so much, folks, because I'm 41. I don't pay attention to TikTok. I'm not on there trolling Instagram. And so the next thing I know, I find out all sorts of information from her about what these younger people are doing, why there aren't people willing to be waiters anymore, to work in the service industry anymore, why these companies are having such a hard time finding employees And as I am aware of, which is gig work, and I've explained that to you on this show, there's also a whole movement of younger people who think that their career is going to be an influencer on Instagram or on TikTok. And so a lot of those people are never going to work in the service industry, although as we discuss on this interview, they're going to get stuck in a trap, folks, because just like the gig workers, they're not really building a business. As she said, they may be picking up some skills they may be able to work in social media or as micro video editors and stuff like that 
But in reality, when they're 21, 22, 23, if the big technocrats, the same people that own the gig platforms, who own the social media platforms, cut them off, where are they going to go? She also talks about how young folks, even in the conservative movement, are not interested in buying homes. They're sort of shying away from the idea of living in the suburbs. The good news is that many of them want to get land out in rural areas with fixer-upper houses or be able to build their own homestead. She did say there's some influencers, not huge, that are on social media that are talking about canning and jarring. These are young folks uh, making sort of these uh, sort of pilgrim dresses. So there's a lot of fascinating stuff that I picked up from this and we get into peter thiel transhumanism technocracy and then also talk about what her vision for the future is i ask a question if you're going to go the political route does anyone in the so-called conservative movement have a five-year a 10-year a 15-year plan is there a business plan what are they trying to do with america where are they trying to move it and as she admits someone who's heavily involved with this there is no plan no one has a plan So I'm telling you, folks, stick with this interview because you are going to learn a lot from someone inside the younger conservative movement and uh, what conservatism really actually means today. I'm confused. I have no idea what it means anymore. So uh, listen to this interview, go down into the description, you can get the links to follow Magdalene Rose, she is a good friend of Maria Albanese, many of you love Maria, so you will love Magdalene Rose. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard, right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, you asked for it. Many of you have been excited about this guest. We are here with Magdalene Rose. She is currently a college junior pursuing a degree in interdisciplinary studies and theology at a Catholic university in the United States. She is currently a host of the Magdalene rose report on the mcfiles network magdalene it is wonderful to speak to you it's been a few years how have you been uh, doing lately i'm good thank you so much for having me on oh it's great to have you here so um why don't you explain to the audience a little bit more about what you do how you got started and uh what you're focusing on now and then we'll go into an in-depth conversation about uh, your outreach to young right-leaning conservatives here in the united states sure so i'm almost 23 and i got started in politics right when i turned 18 and the way that i got started in politics was if you remember the parkland shooting happened and from that we got this whole crop of left-wing activists of david hogg and emma gonzalez and even more that didn't really hit the mainstream news but we're doing a lot of grassroots work 
And I saw this and I had just graduated high school and I kept waiting for there to be a conservative response from the youth wing of the GOP and the conservative movement. And it just didn't happen. And I reached out to a lot of my, what you would call young conservative leaders on the national stage and a local stage, and they just didn't respond. And the ones that did basically said, well, this will go away. And it didn't. And David Hogg led boycotts of TV shows and they got legislation changed and they did, you know, lions at grocery stores. And there just was no conservative response. So I started making videos about that and about other topics. And from that, I really learned that we had a massive gap in youth leadership, not even just in the political aspect of the GOP and everything, but we have a massive gap in youth leadership in the conservative movement in America. And from that, my work is centered around trying to fix that in, in different ways and through a diff different apparatuses that will hit many different types of young conservatives throughout the country. Yeah, so let me ask you, that's really interesting. When I got involved with politics, I was in my mid 20s uh, i had gotten involved with an issue in new haven connecticut where there was a mayor there uh 20-year entrenched democrat mayor and he was trying to become the first in the nation mayor to introduce id cards for illegal aliens and so i used to listen to a lot of talk radio and local conservative talk radio and that is how i got involved with the issue and then in my mid-20s i was still sort of young you're approaching this age but uh also in my heart i started to feel older and then i started to realize in connecticut that there was no outreach from the republicans or from the conservatives to young folks at all in fact when i showed up at republican committee meetings and i used to go to them all around the different counties we were working in it was almost that i was being pushed away they didn't want new ideas and at that time i was really focused on watching what barack obama was doing the new color schemes they were using the new graphics the yeah. beginning of utilizing memes and so i would try to bring this to the republicans i had also studied saul linsky and rules for radicals and i said listen if you want to make inroads at all you're going to have to adapt some of these new marketing techniques and it's almost like they don't want to uh, have you experienced that over the last five six years you've been involved with uh, politics yeah definitely when i first started in politics and i was 18 one of the biggest learning curves i had was that we are not all on the same team and i as somebody who's a very young conservative had always been a conservative i didn't have one of those realize the gop realize the conservatives rather right about everything and i'm not a leftist moments i've just always been a conservative so i didn't realize that we weren't all on the same team and i would be accused of punching right when i would call somebody out and it's kind of like you're not punching right you're punching for the right because a lot of people on the right are lying and they're grifters. So the grifting aspect has really been the main cause, I believe, of us not having good branding, of us not having good marketing for young people and just not having great youth leaders. The grifters have such a death hold on the senior leaders of the GOP and the conservative movement and even the, the evangelical community as well. It's very difficult to get new ideas in because of that. Yeah, and I definitely think that uh, your entrance into politics and conservative media in 2018, you see how much it's even shifted in the last four years. And sort of the deeper you go into this, a lot of the content I cover on this show has to do with technology, the technocracy, you know, the transhumanist movement, which we can talk about a little later as we talk about the pro-life movement. But the deeper you get into these subjects, you always find these wizards of Oz behind the curtain. You always find these grip 
grifters. It's it's sad because in this country, this idea of even being able to live the American dream and starting a company in your garage. I live in Frederick, Maryland now, which is just 95% of the people here either work for the government or work for a government contract or, or for a company that's floated by government money. And so you realize both in the political side and in sort of this private sector side that it's very difficult to make it and almost everyone appears to be some sort of a puppet some grifter some leech or they're backed by the government or they're backed by some shady organization so you're starting to see that in the so-called conservative movement yeah it's definitely there i mean i think i'm a lot more aware of it than other young conservatives would be there is a real aspect of how do you get advancement in the young conservative movement. And this is something I'm very sympathetic to for a lot of young conservatives who fall into this corporate area of it. It's very difficult to advance in the young conservative movement if you are not backed by someone large. And by that, I don't mean a specific person. You don't all have to be backed by a benefactor. But if you're not backed by the Leadership Institute or Turning Point, if you're not backed by any of those organizations, it's very hard to do. I, I don't mean this in a prideful way, but what I did was very much outside the norm and outside the mold of what other young conservatives did. I went for independent positions. I created my own show. So there, there was a way for me to navigate away, but it took five years. And for me, that was fine because I didn't. Ha I don't have a goal of being a politician. I don't need to make a checklist and check off the boxes. But it did take five years. So if you don't have the patience to do that and you don't have <laughs> the ability to navigate it, what's going to happen is you're going to fall in with the grifters. And I think that's very sad. And it's one of the reasons why we're so stagnant right now. I've been doing it for 15 years. So it's yeah. interesting. It's a much uh, more difficult path. At the same time, I always, I always tell people, if you want to go down the path of joining sort of the darkness or you want to make your career into serving other people's secret agendas, you know, it's also difficult to do that as well. If you went and knocked on their door right now and said, okay, I'm willing to give in, I'll join you. It's not that easy either because yeah. you're already marked as someone who speaks your mind and tries to tell the truth. I mean, 15 years ago, Leadership Institute uh, tried to recruit me as well through a benefactor at the time who has since passed away, and they were trying to dangle a lot of money in front of me to go and uh, promote their concepts and train people around the country. It was pre-turning point. And so I did my research back then, and that's kind of what got me interested in uh, eugenics because this guy who was claiming to be fighting illegal immigration and pushing border security was also a big major benefactor behind eugenics i'm like well what's this and then realized no way i'm not going to work for this guy so le let me ask you this how, how do like first off just from your own personal standpoint how do you define conservatism today because i think over the last 25 years the definitions have sort of changed and then especially since 2015-16 when donald trump was running for president i think conservatism is it's so hard to define now so how do you define it well, I would say that for conservatism now, I am somebody that applies litmus tests to candidates. So I would say for conservatism, it's being pro-life. It's being for a capitalist system. And that sounds very basic, but we're at a point where a lot of conservatives would be okay with some socialist economic policies. So it's that it's having isolationist foreign policy where we are not interventionists around the world. It's creating a system where we maintain the social fabric of the country by not allowing 
allowing for massive ideological input in our schools from people who are pushing a left-wing ideology. It's these really basic tenets. It's almost like real common sense. But now we're at a point where if I say we shouldn't have massive left-wing ideological input in a kindergarten classroom, I'm a bigot. So it really is these basic tenets of common sense. And there's also this other part of there. We, if you're a conservative and you're defining conservatism, it should be a place where people, no matter where they come from, and I mean this in the sense of if they come from political royalty or nothing, there should be advancement for them. And that's something we're really missing in the current conservative layout in this country. Now, do you think we're missing it because of what we just talked about, because these grifters are involved? And so people understand what happens is you get various sort of uh, puppeteers behind the scenes that then go and promote what we would call influencers or certain, you know, supposed independent podcast hosts, and they get elevated to the top. Like Charlie Kirk, I would say, I can say this, you don't have to put names on these people, but for instance, these kind of people that get elevated and they almost are being set up just as replacements for former. Uh, talk radio show hosts, former podcasters, they basically set them up, get them ready, line them up, and then move them into those positions. Is that kind of how you're seeing it work from the inside? Yeah, it, that is how it works. And I took a lot of a lot of stuff in from, um, I would say, from 2018, really, until the, the end of 2020, 2018 to the end of 2020, because I was saying, we are in a situation where the people, the young people you think are going to save the day are dooming us. And there was quite a lot of pushback. People in the conservative world, conservative adults would call me horrible names. They would say that I was a traitor, that I was a leftist plant. This is what went on. So there was a cult culture of fear around saying something like the leader you see on Fox News isn't doing anything but being on Fox News. And I think it did get into an area of being very cultish, because if you can't say we lost the youth vote by over 30 points and we have no plan to get it back after the 2018 midterms, if you can't say that for fear of pushback from the people who are on Fox News, that to me is a cultish system and it, it really dooms the growth of the conservative movement by and large. Yeah, I think right here inside of uh, pain.tv slash gold, even before I was part of the platform, Maria Albanese, who's the co-host of Thomas Paine Podcast on Fridays, and Mike Moore, the host of the Thomas Paine Podcast, there were plenty of text conversations, uh, some of which I was part of, some that I was not, going into the 2020 elections, where, you know, Maria and Mike had made decisions not to even criticize uh, President Trump on a lot of the lies, you know, because they were afraid there was going to be major pushback they were going to get labeled as leftist people were going to be calling them out because they were telling the truth and at the same time it was like okay well it's between trump and biden so we're just going to bite our tongue until after the election happens so we don't get blamed if trump loses and so it's sad that you see that happen because the whole point of independent media especially from the right is we're supposed to be holding these people's feet to the fire after we get them elected i mean if we don't hold their feet to the fire on the promises they made then who's really going to do it so you just elect them and then they get to run free and join in with the left and big government and throw everything that they ran on aside 
Yeah, you do. And and what really was the problem with that was in 2020, I was on another podcast and I remember saying to the podcast host, Trump's campaign is like a Seinfeld episode. It's really not about anything. And there was we were not allowed to say that. And when I said it, the podcast host was like, yeah, no, that's true. I don't actually know what he's running on. I know what he personally believes. I know about trade and abortion economics, but his campaign was about nothing. And I, at that point, just didn't care anymore. And I was saying that we're in trouble. This isn't going well, Brad. Brad Parscale is going to doom us. This digital infrastructure the Trump campaign spent tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on has delivered nothing. I was saying that and I was right about it. And we got to a point after the 2020 election when people, I think, were at least honest about the level of incompetence on his team, where when you look at Trump's senior advisors, I mean, it's mainly his family. And I'm sure Laura Trump is a lovely person. But why was she in a senior strategic communications role? And that was something a lot of conservatives were almost self-prohibiting themselves from saying because we knew how bad it would be. And that's a really toxic culture when you're trying to keep the country. Yeah, well, and now you have Jared Kushner, who was arguably the most powerful senior advisor inside of the White House, who a month ago came out on a podcast with Richard Grinnell and essentially said that he's a transhumanist, that he believes he'll be the last generation to die or the first generation to live forever. I mean, just openly said this, and you say to yourself, well, a lot of the things that went on inside the White House seem to make sense now. Uh, I mean, I never liked Jared Kushner. I always spoke out against Jared Kushner. Uh, being in the White House or part of the campaign. But but let me ask you this. So now, how do you see, because your eye is more on the politics that are going on, you're working as a social uh, media director for Republicans for National Renewal. Um, How do you see, like, what are the different factions inside the so-called conservative movement now? Because back, you know, go 15 years ago or even right before Trump, you basically had people that identified as Republicans. You had people that said, well, I'm conservative and this is what the Republican Party needs to be. And then you had outliers that called themselves maybe patriots or libertarians. And they were like, no, we're about super small government. So I think people could define themselves easier back then. What are the different factions inside this movement now is there a movement is it organized at all or is it just all piecemeal right now there is a movement i don't think it's as organized as it has been in the past i would say that the major factions you of course have the neocons but the issue for the neocons is that trump isn't president anymore so their boogeyman is sort of taken out of power. They don't really have a great thing to push back on anymore, but they still exist. They're still there. And then you have the super MAGA people. And when I say super MAGA people, I don't mean people super ideological in their beliefs about, you know, having a strong conservative country. I mean, people who are just about Trump. And that can be a bit frustrating because you're you're trying to tell them the way that things didn't work out in 2020 with specific strategies and positions, and they just don't hear it. So you're the super MAGA people. Then you have this hard nationalist right-wing group of people and that involves a lot of young people in the conservative movement and they are frustrated and they're looking towards the future and they want hardcore candidates they want people like josh Hawley, who is championing what they want on a very national stage and then you have those suburban republican voters who just want there to be peace again and then there's also this other tiny group of people who want a real new idea of what republicanism is and those people are growing i think that they will if they they would eventually vote for someone like Ron DeSantis, but i wouldn't be surprised if they put a big candidate forward in the next primary for the gop 
Okay, so let me ask you, where are, because I'm so far out of the loop, and uh, my audience may be too, because I actually call myself post-politics at this point, because I've just been focusing the last few months, uh, as I said, on technocracy, on the money behind it, what the government's actually doing, uh, a lot of these things that aren't necessarily talked about all the time. So where are people that are into the conservative movement, like, congregating now? Is this on social media? Are they meeting in real life? Like, where are people that part of these various uh, movements congregating besides MAGA people going to Trump rallies? I think on social media, there's the conservative Twitter, as I call, like a lot of people call it, is very big. So they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook groups, but there's also a lot of conferences happening all across the country. And people are really trying to find their niche of, of other voters, of other citizens. And that is something that's growing. I know that the harder right nationalist populist group, they start off on social media. They meet each other there a lot of times through Instagram, through watching people on Instagram lives or Facebook lives. And then they just go hang out and they plan conferences and they start organizations. The most active, enthusiastic group on the right right now are the nationalist, populist, more right-wing young people. They meet people on social media and they go out in the real world and do more stuff with them. And that is something that hasn't really existed in recent years. So, okay, so now let me ask you a little bit about, about the MAGA side of things. So from the so-called leaders in that space, uh, the influencers in that space, the podcasters in that space versus, you know, just regular everyday people that will put on their, you know, make America great hat and still go to a Trump rally. Um, do you see the leaders in that space, the podcasters, the influencers as, um, I mean, not everyone is this, but do you see a lot of them as basically grifters at this point? I mean, the fact that they're still talking about um, sort of election, you know, this election theft. Well, what happens is now people become desensitized to the idea of an election being stolen. And I don't understand how people now believe, let's say Trump runs again, that he could even win if he couldn't stop election fraud while he was president. How do you stop election fraud when you're not president? I mean, this is kind of the stuff I think about from a common sense perspective. The MAGA people in a lot of ways are they're very sequestered because the super right-wing people don't really want to interact with them in the same way the neocons hate them so it's become a very insular community and when that happens it's very difficult to get to get new ideas and those grifters the commentators to me there's almost different levels of grifters there are people in it who are solely for the money and then there are people who just think this is an industry and this is what they should be doing for their country and i'm not saying that that they are you know on par with people who are not grifters but there is a there is a lesser grifter here and those people i genuinely think think that trump can win again and they genuinely believe the crazy stuff they say and that's very sad because they're not scum they're not saying horrible things for no reason or just for money they're saying it because they believe it and the longer that goes on the more of a super MAGA cult they amass. And the bigger that cult gets, the worse it gets for candidates who are not going to talk to that cult because they can't because they're in purple or not super dark red areas. Okay. So let me ask you this now. Are you paying attention to, like, who is the who are the money men these days? You know, it used to be, let's say, the Koch brothers or the Mercer family. Who are, uh, you know, Bernie Marcus? Who are, the, who are the money guys that are throwing around money in the conservative sphere right now? 
Well, I can tell you in the youth conservatives beer, I, I wouldn't know as much in the general one, but Charlie Kirk runs all the money in the young conservative sphere. He just does. And that's really been this way since, I would say, since the beginning of Trump's term. He is the one who gets people in through Turning Point Kids sign contracts to promote certain amounts of things. They sign NDAs. There's a whole system that goes on here. And it's a little frustrating because you have 17-year-olds signing NDAs, or 18-year-olds, rather, signing NDAs to be promoting conservative content. Why do you need to sign an NDA to promote conservative content? Because when you go to those conferences and you go to the trainings of those conferences, it's not actually to save the country. It's to grow the Turning Point brand. And it's not that I'm hating on Turning Point. I just know that they are where the entire conservative grifter economic system is centered. It's a very brilliant thing Kirk has done, but I do think it's to the detriment of this whole country. And it was frustrating for me in 2020 because I knew, and so did a couple other young conservatives, and we all knew that he was doing nothing to win the youth vote. So we get to the 2020 election, we get the numbers back, especially from Tufts University, and we get the breakdown of each state. And we lose the youth vote in the majority of the states. We lose 30 points. And there's been no effort to hold him accountable to that. And it's only going to get worse. He has never been held accountable for that. When Trump has had him up there as, you know, his youth advisor, at least informally, and saying that this guy is the guy I'm going to tap for that, and someone fails, they should be fired. But he's never been fired, and no one has. There's a lot of people that should have been fired in the Trump administration. But let, let me ask you this. I haven't looked into it in a long time. Is Charlie still backed with uh, Bernie Marcus money? Is that who's still mainly I'm behind Trump? I'm not sure. Trump? I'm not sure. Okay. I do know that he has quite a lot of private donors that are just businessmen and women throughout the country. And that's been a very smart thing for Turning Point to do. There, ha- there is. I don't think there's as much dependence on one or two big donors as much in the conservative movement as there has been in the past. There's a, there's a lot more of them. They're looking for new people to start things up with for the youth movement. It's definitely diversified. Well, if there's people with money behind it, obviously people donating large enough amounts of money that they uh, expect results. Now, we don't know what the results really are. You don't know what people's motives yeah. really are. But if Charlie Kirk has failed in delivering the youth vote... Um, Let's just say, I mean, if the whole thing was just a grifter network about bringing in money and these guys were investors getting a return on their money, there's a lot of easier ways to get returns on money than that, especially at the level that these guys play at. So what do you think? I mean, this is just your opinion, obviously, but what do you think their purpose is if they're not actually delivering with as big as Turning Point appears to be and they have their little influencers all over the place? uh, What do you think their purpose is? I mean, if they're not if they're not delivering results as far as voting goes, then what are they doing? I think the backers genuinely believe that they're trying to win the country back. The problem is we always knew there was a portion of America that was filled with young conservatives. That's not new. There was always a, there was always 8% of the black population in America voting for Republicans. These numbers are not new. What Turning Point and other conservative organizations did is they shoved all these people in front of a camera. And so they've made donors believe, and a lot of people in the conservative movement believe that they've gotten in all these new young people. They didn't. They just got those people in front of cameras. So their purpose, according to the money, is probably to save America. The problem is, and this isn't just in the youth wing, this is in the social media landscape as well. The people who lost the 2020 election for Trump on the strategic front, 
none of them were held accountable. So we're going into the midterms and after that in a lot of ways with the same team. And the Democrats are always updating their roster. Yes, you have the Clintons. Yes, you have a lot of the same people, the DNC, but they hire new talent. Never think that they don't hire new talent when they see it. They do, even if that talent is 16. We didn't do that. And that's going to be a problem the closer we get to midterms in 2024. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, because you mentioned it a couple of times. You just said that the people with the money probably, you know, want to take the country back or save America. Do you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you define that? What does that mean to these money people, save America? Does it just mean be in political control, like have the majority of the seats? Just be in political control. I think it genuinely (laughs) just means have all three areas, have the presidency, Congress and the Senate, and then make sure the Supreme Court is always conservative. It also means win the majority of gubernatorial races as well. I know that that's a big focus that a lot of them have. Okay. And let me ask you this. So if you've got the turning point as the largest, let's just say whatever its purpose is, but the largest young conservative outreach, you know, networking organization, uh, marketing, PR, trying to put out the talking points, what is... Uh, if we're going to lose or if we're losing the youth vote, what is the left's outreach? Other than the fact that we know that they control, obviously, the universities, they control the public education system, they control all the entertainment, they control all of the music. Uh, I mean, is that their apparatus or do they have a ground game as far as like politics goes? They have a ground game and they have a very competent door knocking system. They have a lot of outreach. The problem we have is that the left is sort of a spider in the way it's handled this. It, you're right. It has the colleges and universities. It has media. It has social media. It has arts and cultures. It has music. So they have all of these different areas that they're dominating. In. And from each of those areas, they watch for the best youth talent. And when I say youth talent, those people do not always go in and work for the DNC. Sometimes they're elevated in the music industry. And they're elevated in arts and culture education. So what the left does is it finds the best people or the smartest people that believe everything leftist and subscribe to that ideology. And it promotes them within the system they want to succeed in. So you have fashion dominated by left wingers. That's the problem we have. If, if the GOP would just invest even a little more, the conservative movement invest a little more in the areas that it's natural for it to succeed in, like economics, like trade, like being in like industrialism, anything like that, and promoted talent and really sought after young people there, we'd probably be in a better system. But there's not one giant left-wing organization. And they're almost smarter for there not being one, because that means we don't have a specific area to target politically or go after in marketing or PR. We don't, they don't have that soft underbelly that we do. So let me ask you this, then is it because it just seems like if you take the last 25 years in this country and you just look at everything that has occurred, the country has really only gone um, left. Like if you add up the columns for the right and the column for the left, the country has moved left in like typical terms of, uh, you know, the definition of left. So does the, the like does the right wing we were supposed to believe for many years that people uh 70 of the country identified as conservative well where is that then like where yeah. where actually is this and how do the conservatives consistently seem to lose or win and then cave to the left just like donald trump when he was uh president and then he had the house and he had the senate and he was supposed to build a border wall but then 
then he literally would walk out in front of the press at a gaggle and negotiate himself down from the $20 billion he wanted to $2 billion yeah, all really by not. himself with no pushback. He would say, oh, I'll take 20. Okay, 18, 17. We'll do 15. We're going to do third. The Democrats won't let me have more than two, two billion. That's all we need. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he would say that he lost because the left pushed back. Well, you had all branches i mean so what do you think this is you think it's a game coming from the republicans because how could we constantly lose on the right there are not as many conservatives in this country as the gop would lead you to believe it's not true and i don't understand how how it could have ever been true because if you if you leave colleges and universities and i include k-12 through in this now we're at the point now where they are in ideologically in those areas if you give that to the left and you give arts and culture and you give fashion and you give music and you give media and you give sports in a lot of areas how could there possibly be this many conservatives it's not true so when you're in a point where you're at midterms and you're seeing the fact that we have low turnout we have low turnout for two reasons one because we're just not running competent campaigns by and large and two because there are more young leftists turning 18 every single day and there are not enough young conservatives turning 18 for it to even be an even fight we're not two to one we're like five to one in some areas so when you have that where even when a republican gets elected even when trump gets elected or any republican they're then in a position where they know there are millions of young people on the left who will try to vote them out so they think i'll just compromise on this bit and i'll try to you know give an inch here because they don't want to upset those millions of young people on the left And that's something we've just never addressed. We are in trouble in terms of the amount of young conservatives compared to the amount of young leftists in this country. Right. So they're just totally playing a numbers game, but they don't have any. And there are there's no one in a position uh, that wields any power or influence that has the ability nor maybe the will to actually figure out how to change hearts and minds so instead they're just moving numbers around on a spreadsheet saying we have to give on this take on this so at the end of the day the people in power i don't think are ideological at all are they i mean they won't stand firm and die on that hill they just want to win the next election i don't think a lot of them are ideological and this is a point where i differ from some conservatives i believe there are leftists who are not backed by anybody who are just true believers in their doctrine i think it's true from what i've seen so we spend a lot of time trying to convince the world that every leftist is is, you know backed by some giant benefactors brainwashed there are some people who are true socialists and true communists and the sooner we acknowledge that and we see that that's not going to change the better off we are i know a lot of young people who truly believe that communism will serve this country and they have not been to any you know the equivalent of a leadership training camp on the left they just believe that so we're up against this idea that we can unbrainwash everyone and we spend a lot of time attempting that and by and large it just doesn't work so let me ask you when you talk about young um, you know, conservatives or the young folks in, uh, interested in politics. What are we talking? Age, what, and younger? In the conservative ones? Oh, yeah. What do you consider to be young? I mean, I would say anywhere from like, I, I try to not have minors involved. So I would say 18 to like 28 is the, really the range of people who are still young enough to understand the current social media landscape to be up to date with things. I don't think a 35 year old is a young conservative. 
And this is another major issue. So I'm 22. I'm a young conservative. At 18, I was a young conservative. At 31, I will not be a young conservative. I will be a conservative. There's a difference. So when you hire a 35-year-old to be in charge of youth outreach, that's a problem. You know, there was a man named Mitch Freckleton, who was the director of youth engagement for the GOP. And this man blocked me on Twitter and blocked several other young people on Twitter because he didn't like the fact that we tweeted at him asking, what are you doing? What is the plan here? He was he was not 18. He was, I believe, in his late 20s, early 30s. He was married with children. That's fine. Good for him. But he's not a young conservative. And that's something we have to deal with in the GOP. Doesn't mean you have to hire 18-year-olds, but go hire a competent 25-year-old and not a 35-year-old. Yeah, so let me ask you this then. If you take uh, 18 to 28, do you know, just generally speaking, how many people within that uh, 10-year range would identify as being on the left, being on the right, and just being indifferent, people that just don't even get involved with politics at all? I don't think they, anyone would identify as being indifferent. I think they would identify as being independents. So that would be the largest portion. I don't have the specific numbers, but I know in that group, conservatives will be the smallest group. And that is something we need to acknowledge because there's a lot of independents. And the problem we have with independents is that they are not socially conservative. So they're not going to be pro-life. They may be pro-life, you know, in a certain amount of months. They may not like late-term abortion. A lot of them don't. But by and large, they're not socially conservative. So we have an issue of trying to cater to them, and then you lose the harder right young conservatives. But in all three groups, young conservatives will always be the smallest amount in this country. Okay, so what would you say? The, the largest would be the independents, then the left, then yeah. the conservatives? Mm-hmm. But even and, the independents are left-leaning, so that's a problem. Right, and then, and then the question is on the... Right, and then most people, I think, I mean, the vast majority, I think, don't even know what they are. I mean, if you sit down and have dinner with a random group of 10 adults, you know, over 28, most people, they can argue about an issue that everybody just heard on facebook or on cnn or fox it's all the same thing you're looking at Mm -hmm. they can argue about that but if you try to talk to them in depth about what i'm you know and you identified yourself and defined conservatism to yourself or how you judge candidates uh most people can't do that i don't think most people can they might say oh i'm a liberal and then you'll talk to them about something and you'll say well that's funny that's like a traditionally conservative viewpoint that you have on that issue so i mean do you find that when you're talking to people that most people are sort of confused or they really don't know or they're told that they're on the left so then they believe they're on the left how do you see yeah, that? I, ha- I have a friend who did not realize that she was very conservative and i was running through a bunch of different political issues i was like well what do you think about the second amendment she's like oh i think we should always keep the second amendment i want to have lots of firearms to protect my family I'm like okay you realize that is not a leftist position <laughs> and then we were running through abortion and i said what do you think about abortion oh, i'm completely pro-life okay well you again realize that disqualifies you from being on the left. So there are a lot of these disqualifying positions that a lot of young people hold, but they don't realize that that makes them conservative. There's also this thing where being a conservative in America as a young person is really hard. And I don't mean that in like a, oh, poor me thing. It's just alienating. There are lots of doors that once you're a public young conservative are closed to you. And that's a very difficult thing to deal with. And there are a lot of young people out there who are young conservatives, who know they are, who will never say it out loud because they don't want half of the doors 
stores in this country to be closed to them. And I blame that solely on the leadership of the Republican Party over the last 40 right. years, because it was the Republican Party that has allowed that cultural door shutting sequence to happen for young people in this country. Oh, it's that. And then, you know, even for uh, older conservatives, I mean, it gets to be embarrassing at a certain point because, say with myself, when I got involved with politics, back then I had to cheer on George W. Bush when he stand on the rubble after 9-11. And then all of a sudden it was the at least seen as the conservatives that led us into a 20-year war. And yeah. so the next thing you know, you have to uh, it, you have to basically absorb all that and be accountable for that when your friends say, yeah, man, you told me to vote for that guy and we ended up in a 20-year war. Or with Trump, you told me to vote for him. Okay, the first three years might have looked good, but look what he walked us into in the last year. So that's your guy. You can't take credit for some stuff and then try to deflect on the rest of it. No, you can't. And that's been something that's been difficult as well. The Trump bubble, the Trump idea that everything was going to be fine because Donald Trump was running for president again and we were all going to win. It was going to be great. This bubble really filled people with the hopium thing of thinking it's all going to be fine and everything's going to be great. And I remember sitting in the living room during the last few days of the 2020 campaign and my mom and I are watching the Trump rally rallies and we know what he's about to say because he said the same thing at the prior rallies for the past couple weeks. Yeah. And that was a very scary moment because that meant that he was in no way, shape, or form trying to win over other people. He was only playing to his base. And yes, that works in areas like Florida and Ohio that love Trump. That's great. But in the in the, the Rust Belt, that was not hitting. And that was a very big concern that was never listened to. And now look where we are. It also works very well for grifting. <laughs> so, yeah, very well. At the, at, at the same time, you can't say, uh, you know, wear the mask, don't wear the mask. If you wear the mask, you're patriotic. If you don't wear the mask, you're not patriotic, but you're patriotic if you wear it. Don't wear it. Fauci, love him, hate him. He's a great guy, fantastic. I'll fire him tomorrow, horrible person. And then you're like, what is he even talking about at this point? He takes all sides of every issue in three sentences. But um, let me just go back for one second. Do you know the numbers currently, the percentage of 18 to 28 year olds that vote in presidential elections no but i know that we lost the um youth vote by i believe 32 points last time in the in the 2018 midterms and then the 2020 race as well i think it was higher than that and we didn't win the youth vote in the majority of the states and what was strange to me is i remember doing an interview with a, a young another young conservative very smart man and i said to him why did we just barely win the youth vote in areas like iowa like why in iowa in a place where not a lot happens do you think republicans have such an advantage and he said to me, well, because conservatives are homegrown there. They don't really leave. It's a farming area. So in areas where you have this serious like family dependence and you have industry that's built in for children to take over, we're winning. And to me, that shows that in families where economics are taught, where you have kids going out to work in those families to prepare kids to then leave and go you know, be adults, we win over those young people. But in the coddling areas of this country, we lose overwhelmingly. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you said, what was it, in Iowa, you said? In we Iowa, won we, 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 yeah, just by, just by a little bit. 
And I remember being so surprised because a lot of times you see Iowa conservatives, especially the Iowa caucuses, and they're very reserved. They're not going to be like you might see in Georgia or Texas with the, the very verbose conservative leadership. And it's because we have this culture in Iowa of homegrown conservatism. And that's something that's just not being replicated throughout the country. Yeah, because it's more ingrained in the the culture there. So what would you say, if you were sitting in front of a room, you know, with 50% people that uh, young folks that identified as the left and 50% that identified on the right, what do you think the top five issues are for, and I know this changes all the time and it could change based on news, like I was just saying, if all of a sudden a big story comes out on Facebook today, people's number one issue changes day to day it could be ukraine russia today tomorrow it's a booster number seven and then the next week it's that they're backing uh lindsey lohan in a battle against somebody trying to steal her money but i mean if for people that are fairly in tune what do you think the top five issues are right now I mean, I would say student debt is at the top of it because the Biden administration promised big on student debt and never delivered. So student debt, how, being able to purchase a home and being able to get a car is also are also very big issues. There are lots of young people who struggle to get cars now, also because we have such a, a lack of them of pre-owned cars because of the yeah. supply chain issues and people holding on to their vehicles. So those two are very big. Also Russia, Ukraine, because there's always this underlying threat that young people perceive of nuclear weapons and Biden's recent comments about that didn't help. And I think just fifth, whatever the main social issue is of the day, and that can be a celebrity feud. It could be a Netflix show that comes out that has not like if you remember, I, f- I forget what it's called, but there was a recent Netflix movie that came out um, that lots of young people objected to because they said that it wasn't defending um, immigrants enough because there was a soldier who made derogatory comments in it. And that was something that captured quite a lot of young people that politicians never talked about because I, I don't even think they really knew. Oh, okay. No, I never heard of that. So it was younger people, what, on the left or the right were upset the about left, this? On the left, I think maybe it was called Purple Heart or something. It had Sophia Carson in it, who comes from Disney Channel. She had a very big built-in um, fan base. And that was something I knew, that young people on the left are very upset about it because they didn't feel it was woke enough. And they felt like it was glorifying the sort of military-industrial complex and glorifying racism and everything. And to me, I saw that as a massive story, and a lot of young people did, and I never saw it covered anywhere in conservative mm. media. It may have been, but I didn't see it. And that sort of shows how little we're often clued into what's happening. I follow way more pop culture people on Twitter than I do politicians, and that's because you find out more about what's going on pop culture than you do with politicians right now. Well, let, let me ask you that. So when you say conservative media, what do you consider to be conservative media now? I, w- I mean, I think Fox is conservative media. I don't mean conservative media in terms of, you know, the ones that are pushing to have real change. Just what falls under that banner right now is Newsmax, talk radio, Fox News, um, a lot of the, the conservative like Facebook Live or Twitch streamers, those people. And then you have the publications like The Federalist. And then um, there's a lot of smaller newspapers as well, or online magazines that fall into it. And then you also have a lot of the Heritage Foundation articles that come out and they're massive within the conservative movement the western journal is big as well those are that's really the main hub right now of conservative media all right and then let's talk about this because you've been um 
really heavily involved in, you know, the pro-life issue. When I asked you uh, how you defined yourself as a conservative, that was one of your number one issues that you looked at as far as candidates do. How is that movement going? Because I remember it as a kid. When I was a kid, it was a big issue. You'd hear adults fighting about this at dinner, you know, pro-life and pro-choice. So what's actually going on in that movement? What's happened over the last five years? I know with the Supreme Court decision, things have changed. But again, I've been kind of out of the loop on political issue so well what's going on there the supreme court reversed roe v wade and that really happened because of amy coney barrett because we had such a a harsh majority on the supreme court and what i found fascinating which i misjudged was that there was no massive real march about it young women who we've always heard for decades my whole life i've heard this they ever overturn roe v wade women are going to take to the streets and they're going to force everything to happen to change that didn't happen no one did that. So really, the young women on the left who always counted on having this sort of army of women of all ages and all creeds who were going to come up and stand up for their reproductive rights, that didn't come to fruition. That didn't happen. So what's now happened is you have all, you had the trigger laws where a lot of states in this country had where the second Roe v. Wade was overturned, there would be a ban on abortion in a certain amount of weeks. So that's happened in several states. A couple of the other ones are in um, legal context, t- context right now about whether or not they're going to be allowed to go forward. In terms of the pro-life movement, I do think we are lacking in, in continuous activity. Roe v. Wade being overturned is a massive accomplishment. I'm very happy to see that happen in my lifetime. However, there are many states that are right on the edge about whether or not they're pro-life or pro-choice. And the pro-life movement, to what I've seen, is not being active enough. Now, there's also a problem in that the Biden Justice Department is now targeting pro-life advocates and pro-life activists who go to abortion clinics and try to stop it. There have been people arrested. So there is a little bit of fear right now. And if I was in charge of a pro-life movement, I would say you need to put very young women who are over 18, of course, but young women at the front, because the Biden administration is not going to want to arrest young women the same way they have been older men and older women. Yes, until they label you a uh, white supremacist, racist, uh, uh, transphobe or something like that. But no, no, I understand that. But here's one of the things, because what we've been covering here is there's this whole new movement growing out of the technology sector, which is the push for designer babies. Uh, You know, I don't know if you followed some of this, but to me, the next fight in the pro-life movement, which is pro-humanity, is this complete and total anti-human movement that's going on in the science and engineering community, sponsored even by our government. There's a lot of money going into the private sector, being spread around, and they're working on this designer baby concept. And the next step, I did a podcast, uh, I think the episode was called uh, The Real War on Women. And they're starting to push the propaganda now, which is essentially that your body, that your womb is inefficient, and they want to start growing babies inside these synthetic wombs. And you say to yourself, well, who's going to own them? The government, the corporations, if it's not grown inside a woman? And now we're already seeing this with the designer baby in vitro push, where they're basically taking your egg, fertilizing it in the lab. Then they sit there and they pick through the embryos. They kill the one that they say could possibly have you know cancer or something else that's in your lineage and then now the next move is they want to grow them in 
the synthetic labs. I mean, this is the next front of pro-life as far as I see it. Are you seeing anybody talking about this in this movement? I actually, I have, but I think that there's a step in between that and what we're currently at. And to me, that is the widespread use of surrogacy on a level that we haven't seen before. And there is, there's the surrogacy market. I don't know if it's still going on, the war in Ukraine, but there was a massive surrogacy market in Ukraine. And those women were treated horribly. And they were oftentimes not paid unless they delivered the baby to full term. I don't know specifically why it was so difficult for a lot of them to carry to full term. Maybe it's the lack of health care there. But that is an issue in Ukraine. So American couples or American single people, as well as people around the world, were really using women in Ukraine to carry babies. And we're now wow. seeing a lot of people in the U.S. And I've seen the documentaries for this. It's been recorded for years that that's been happening in Ukraine. It's it's called the surrogacy market there. They have companies here in the U.S. and the Ukraine that work as liaison between the two. I don't know if it's still happening because of the war, but it was up until then. So you have that. And then you have this culture that's developing in the U.S. of just using surrogates. And I'm not talking about women who can't get pregnant or anything like that, nothing like that. I'm talking about people who seem to just be renting women to have babies. And I don't think there's enough protections for those surrogates because that's not something that's really been talked about in Congress. There are not massive bills to make sure that they're not harmed. And when you have a situation, and I think this has started in Hollywood, the Kardashians really have led the way on this, people just getting surrogates, and now you see other actresses, and some have even said, I'm doing this because I don't want to have a baby, to have the stretch marks, have all that, and that's their choice. But I wonder if there are protections for those surrogates, because it's not going to be older women who have lots of life experience who get brought in to be surrogates. It's going to be girls my age who maybe need money for school or who need money to live or who are trying to support their family. And there doesn't seem to be an advocacy wing supporting them and protecting them and really instructing them about what it's going to mean for their mental health and their physical health to do this. And that's something the pro-life movement may want to start talking about, because if we don't protect surrogates, we're also not protecting babies. Oh, wow. No, that's so I'm so glad that I asked you that question. I was trying to figure out how to work it in because we spent three or four episodes going into the designer babies and the surrogates and then eventually the synthetic womb market and uh no it's great that you're talking about that because it is going to affect the mental health of that child down the road when it finds out that mommy didn't even love me enough to carry me inside her belly by choice not because of health reasons and then that woman you're saying like your age who's going to end up giving away the baby that was growing inside her this is yeah. going to lead to all mm -hmm. sorts of problems down the road and then the next step as you said this is the bridge to get to the full-blown you know technocratic uh, uh element of this synthetic wombs i mean it, it's scary the stuff that they're doing now i want to ask you because this ties in as well um you have and i don't know if you follow him much if you see that he's involved in any of the investment into the youth organizations but you have peter thiel who came out obviously was marketed as trump's only big billionaire uh silicon valley backer which was not true but that's how they marketed it how does peter thiel play a part in the conservative movement now considering that he's actually backing candidates and he goes out there calling himself a conservative libertarian of which in my belief he is neither he has money in everything. Everything has Peter Steele money in it. And people want to, you know, get in bed with him in, in political means and economic means. That's their business. I find it strange, though, how 
libertarian conservatism has sort of morphed. It's morphed into its, its own thing. And there are these people who push libertarian conservatism. What is that, really? What they say to me is, well, it's, it's freedom for everybody. It's everybody having what they need and us still having capitalism and everything. I think it's a bridge between having leftists come in in the in the libertarian movement and try to take over the conservative movement. I think that the libertarians in a lot of ways, not not the libertarians in the National Party who've been out there, not the Ron Paul, Rand Paul people, those people believe and they have a whole thing of, of lists of specific points. I've worked with them, I've spoken with them, their principle. But these new libertarians who seem to be very interested in financing conservative enterprises, I think it's a bridge between that and leftism. Yes, and, and I've explained to my audience, let's see if, if you agree with this. I mean, like, again, he tries to brand himself as this conservative libertarian. He was speaking a couple of weeks ago at the National Conservatism Conference held by the Edmund Burke Society. But as I said to my audience, if you just take conservatism in its simple form, you know, being fiscally conservative or socially conservative, Peter Thiel, as I'll explain in a moment, is a devout transhumanist, which is anti-humanism. The eventual goal is sort of the engineering of humanity humanity out of existence, so therefore he cannot be a social conservative. As far as fiscal conservatism, he currently has over $2.5 billion in government contracts open for his various companies. He's been funded by CIA money through InQtel, which is their venture firm, and so he's in no way a fiscal conservative because he's not about small government. And then as far as the libertarian brand, you know, being for liberty or freedom, his company Palantir, which was started with CIA InQtel money, is almost in every government agency, including in the IRS, under a $100 million deal that they signed under the Trump administration to basically go out and harass American citizens. So I don't think that Peter Thiel is about liberty in any way whatsoever. So to me, it's almost like he's a fraud. I don't know why he is not rejected and there's really no pushback. Do you see any pushback from either young conservatives or other conservatives in the movement saying, this guy doesn't represent us, we don't want him involved? No, but you're also dealing with a group of people who do no research and don't vet anybody. So if you don't vet anybody and you don't do any research on anybody and you don't do deep dives just with public information, why would there be pushback? And that's something I've, I've seen over and over again. You can come in and just say you want to save America and have your whole closet filled with you know, horrible skeletons about your behavior. It's never going to matter. Because you're gonna like rah rah save America. So if you have that situation, it's not just him. There are many people, I'm sure, throughout the conservative movement who are financiers or in positions of leadership who were never vetted. And so we're now seeing what happens when you have people who are embedded come in. And that's something on the left that doesn't happen. Those people are vetted ideologically. They go back through their whole lives, the fine tooth comb. Maybe they miss a couple tweets. Maybe they miss something somebody said once. But they go back and they look and they find out who you're voting for. Uh, through talking with your friends, talking to family or teachers, they read your papers in high school. They vet. We don't vet. And we pay the price for it over and over again. Now, do you think that's just because there is, for some reason, this constant desire by people on the right who, as we said, the the numbers that sort of the Republican Party give out, the GOP gives out, uh, that there are actually less conservatives than we are led to believe. And so sometimes in life you do feel isolated. You start to say, wait a second, how is everyone around me on the left, but I'm told we're in the majority? Do you think it's because the right's desire, and I think this is in most 
most humans to have some kind of some leader that comes out of the fold some billionaire that's coming to save us do you think that's why we keep falling into the trap of accepting people like say peter thiel or robert mercer or any of these guys you go oh a billionaire is coming to back us so now we're gonna win do you think that's part of what it is not 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 for the people that are just greedy and want the money I think we do want a savior, but there's also a very trusting nature in the conservative movement that I've never fully understood. But it's this idea of they couldn't possibly be lying to us. It could they must be ideological, they must be principled. So you're always up against this idea of people are just doing their best and telling the truth. And I don't understand that since we're in politics. I would just assume everyone's lying. That seems like a safer bet. That's always seemed like a safer bet to me, but I'm very much in the minority about that. And people will say, you know, why would they lie? Why would they try to give away their money and, and do it in a way that doesn't even get them what they want? Because some people are bad-willed, because some people are not principled. But the idea of trying to explain to large amounts of conservatives, and I've tried this, so I, I know this to be true, that people are untrustworthy and should not be given the benefit of the doubt and not be given second chances within the GOP is not accepted. They do not accept it. So we're always up against that trusting nature, which uh, honestly is a lot of times an Achilles heel. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I've got a video. So there's this whole concept of singularity, which is eventually when artificial intelligence becomes smarter than humans. And then humans are forced to merge with machine, man and machine merge. And it's, so it's called singularity. It came out of Ray Kurzweil, who is the chief um, engineer at Google. We did like several shows on this. And you go back to Peter Thiel going back to 2006. He was investing in and funding the singularity institute giving speeches that are all over the internet you can watch them at the singularity conferences and so then there's this video of him from a few years back sitting there uh in a little panel discussion and he says right there that uh transhumanism and christianity so transhumanism the merger of man and machine with this concept that these guys are chasing in various forms of immortality they want eternal life that christianity and transhumanism have very little differences in fact only a few small metaphysical differences because at the end of the day god is offering you eternal life in heaven and peter thiel and the transhumanists are offering you immortality right here i mean this quote is it's in video he's out there saying this it's not the first time he said this kind of thing how could anyone on the right accept this guy as uh, being involved with anything any of the candidates he's backing when he literally just told you that there's no difference between transhumanism and christianity and i'm sure you probably have never even seen that right yeah, things being on video don't matter anymore. And I've said this to my mom when we've been talking about <laughs> politics. If it's on video, if there's like a recording of someone saying horrible things, this is why oftentimes I, I think when I see Project Veritas reports, like that's not going to matter. Yeah, it's shocking. It's horrifying. But these things don't matter to voters anymore. You have to have like a candidate on tape torturing a kitten for anyone to even care. And you'd have to have like 
proof that he was there and that it wasn't the doctored video and all these different things because we are at a point now and a lot of this is due to the trump years of the left hitting trump so hard it got to a point of people being desensitized no one cares about things that are on videos it's very difficult to shock americans anymore you can't really shock americans in politics i think the biden speech where he was sort of backlit like he was a tyrant from the 1940s shocked americans a little bit but the only reason it did because it didn't fit with Biden's brand. Biden's brand was this grandfatherly guy. Obviously, yeah. it's a lie, but that was what the, the marketing was. So when Democrats, those more moderate Democrats, saw him backlit with the red and the military people near him and, you know, like saying all this harsh language, they didn't like it because it wasn't the Biden they knew. But aside from that, when have Americans been shocked recently? We're about to enter a global recession. People aren't even talking about it because <laughs> it's not shocking anymore. I mean, if you look at the, the data coming out, the UK pound is super weak. Our dollar is a mess. Nobody cares because we're at a point now where things have been bad for so long in so many ways. It's the expectations. So we're not, we're only surprised when things get better at this point. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's, that's part of, uh, you know, what we've been researching here. I think growing out of, I think there's a lot of leftist ideologies and progressive ideologies embedded in what is becoming this, um, it's basically both parties and the entire government backing the idea of technocracy, which is the eventual rule by the scientists and engineers. And we spent 54 episodes digging into this. And so I'm about to start comparing this to uh, old videos I have of Saul Alinsky to explain to the audience that this mentality grows out of leftism. It grew out of progressivism. It has elements of communism because the goal is for the scientists and engineers to control the means of production, manufacturing, the work schedules, and then the distribution of goods. And this goes all the way back to the 1930s it even has some roots in uh, nazi germany and so now you're seeing people people as we're talking about peter thiel people like peter thiel are actually behind this movement backed by government money and you're seeing that trickle into the right and left so when you're talking about how peter thiel branding himself as a conservative libertarian or this new sort of libertarian populist idea that they are going to end up pushing the left in i think what you're actually seeing is the beginning of the this full-blown technocracy leaking in to what's going to control the entire government and then in fact the whole entire world that's what basically they're moving towards i think that's part of what the covid land high school theater production was about as well and elon musk is not our savior in this and a lot of people <laughs> think that and i don't really understand why i mean there's there's not a like elon musk is not a conservative person at all whatsoever this is not true he might be less horrible than zuckerberg sure yeah okay i'll accept that he might be less crazy than jack dorsey probably but he's not our savior and this is a real problem within the gop that i wasn't aware of until i was really working in republican politics we have this idea that we are completely against the celebrities telling us what to do. We don't want celebrities to tell us what to do. We think it's ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous. But the second that one talks to us or favors us, they're like raised to this level of king or queen in the GOP and the conservative movement. It frustrates me because we spend so much time on them that could be given or allocated to better areas that it only hurts us. And then that celebrity leaves because they're celebrities and they're not here to stay with us in GOP land. They leave and then we're left with less and they'd be more people just know their name and buy their music or their brand or whatever they're selling. Oh, definitely. We don't want 
uh, celebrities talking to us until we want celebrities talking to yeah. us. And so, in fact, we elected a celebrity as president. But look, I always admit, I went to 13 Trump rallies. I performed in my Donald Trump impersonator costume at two inaugural balls. I mean, I was on board because, for me, that was our last best hope to fix the problems of yesteryear, which was an open border and everything else. To me, those issues are like out the window now. Demographic yeah. warfare has been spread all across the world. You're seeing even what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. My wife is from uh, Poland, and I was just over in Poland for three weeks with her. And you're seeing the Ukrainian refugees. It doesn't really matter what people's standpoint is. They're moving them into Poland. They're doing the same exact thing that they did in the U.S. here with South Americans, Central Americans, Mexicans. They're bringing them into Poland. They're telling them not to assimilate. They're giving them all kinds of government money. Meanwhile, the U.S. is over there building a military base and trying to push Poland into this new NATO alliance. And so we're basically running Poland. And then everyone in Poland who is starting to stand up to some of the refugees that are emboldened now and acting like some of the people that we bring in because the government is telling them to act this way are now called racist. Uh, I mean, and you're seeing the same game be run um, over in Poland. But let me ask you a couple more things. Um, you wear a lot of hats. So what are all the different projects you're involved with? I mean, you're going to college. You're working for the... Um, uh, Republicans for National Renewal. You've got your different podcasts. Uh, how do you manage all this at 22 years old? <laughs> well, I think mainly because it was gradual. So when I started off, I just had my show. And then from that, I was I had another writing position. Then I joined Trinity International, which is a young conservative and Christian organization that helps to have conservatives who are, and Christians on college campuses not feel isolated ideologically. So with that, it, that really is an area where everything sort of filters in together. It's all about making sure young conservatives are not isolated and that they don't feel like they have to compromise to exist. And that was a feeling that I felt in school. You know, grade docking is a real problem as well. So we talk about that from leftist teachers. And along with that, helping out Republicans for National Renewal with social media and making sure that they have what they need is really important because these are organ that's an organization that's vetting people. And that's one of the things I liked about the organization. I interviewed their executive director for my own show. And I asked, how how do you deal with these candidates? What How, how does it go through? And they have a checklist. They have, I think they call it a report card of where they have to stand on certain issues. And that's something that I thought was really nice to see, especially from a new organization organization because a lot of times we don't see that and they have to hit those checklists to be endorsed. So it all sort of filters through the same topic. I will say it's easier to stay disciplined in it when it's all under the same umbrella. So everything I do is under conservative politics or pro-life politics. When everything's under the same umbrella, it's easier to streamline. And there are a lot of young conservatives who have asked me, how do you not get overwhelmed with things? How do you not you know, drop certain things or not be able to pay attention? You just have to be really disciplined in what you're doing. And I think one of the reasons I haven't had burnout, which a lot of young conservatives have, is that everything I did was organic. So when you're suddenly given a massive show on a massive platform and you're 18, that's a big learning curve. And there's a lot of things you don't know. Or when you're suddenly given a massive position in an organization, there's a lot of things you don't know. And we have a problem in the young conservative world of people burning out and feeling like they have to develop content all the time. I've taken months off from developing content to focus on other things in my job sphere. Young conservatives need to not be given everything all at once. And that sounds bad to say, but that's the way to keep them in and not have them burn out quickly. 
Okay, so let me ask you, what are some of the boxes that uh, some of these candidates have to check off? What are you guys looking for over there? I mean, it's not you specifically doing it, but what, what kind of stuff are they looking for? So you're looking for isolationist policies. You're looking for someone who does not think it's appropriate to send massive amounts of money all the time to whatever country needs it and to not have American military boots on the ground when we haven't been threatened, when it's not again, when it's not about us being in danger. Those kinds of things. You have to be willing to talk to people. I mean, this is another point. A lot of the candidates that these more populist organizations are endorsing now, these are candidates who are willing to talk to voters. And there's always been this sort of curtain between between candidates and voters and that they will totally ask for your vote and they might answer your question in a form, but they're not going to answer your question in the comment section of their Facebook page. And that's something that these more populist right-wing organizations are pushing. They're pushing for candidates to be involved with anybody who wants to talk to them. And that's something that really is new, at least in this time in Republican politics. So let me ask you, do you know, does anyone have a five-year a 10-year, I mean, have they ever? Has anyone had a five-year, a 10-year, a 20-year plan on, like, just like you would do as a business plan if you were launching a new company? Where we are trying to get to as far as, say, a conservative movement, I mean, I know these technocrats have a plan. I know the UN uh, with agendas 2030, 2050, they have a plan. They know where they're going. I know the World Economic Forum has a plan. They publish it in all of the speeches and the conferences they throw and the papers that they publish. Is there any plan whatsoever from the conservative movement? Or is it just hopefully win the next election, be able to grift a little more than other people grift, and then we move on to the next battle? Or is there actually a plan to quote, you know, save America, actually change things, roll back anything. I think we've given up on the idea of shrinking government. I don't even think that's a question anymore. So do you see an actual plan in place by anyone? No, I th- and I think that's a good question. A lot of that is dependent on who becomes the nominee in 2024. And that's just the reality we're in. Because if Donald Trump becomes a nominee in 2024, the plan from there will be how do we get all the things we want accomplished within Trump's presidency? However, if someone like Ron DeSantis becomes the nominee, it's not so much about his presidency or after getting him elected. It becomes how do we get this more common sense, solid way of thinking into the GOP and the conservative movement? A lot of grifters will not survive, I don't think would survive the, Don- the Ron DeSantis nominee time. And I don't mean presidency, I mean the nominee time. Because when someone is the nominee, what they're doing is they're reshaping the platform of the party. Donald Trump did that very successfully in, in 2016. Romney did not do that successfully in 2012. So with Donald Trump, you had in this this five-year plan of this is what we're going to accomplish. We're going to do a remake of the entire you know GOP network. We're going to put in Trump loyalists and we're going to make it a MAGA-centric party. With someone like Ron DeSantis, who I was not a fan of for a long time, and I've come around to recently because I think it's a much better decision than a Trump presidency 2.0. Someone like Ron DeSantis, what I like about him is that he does not seem to have a lot of friends. They say his main advisor is his wife. He's a very closed off person. So what you'll have there is you'll have a plan of how to stabilize the Republican Party and stabilize the conservative movement. And that might just mean a lot of internal maintenance and not trying to win over new voters. But if you're asking right now, is there a five-year plan? Is anybody presenting it? No. Even though Kevin McCarthy tries to present his like saving America 
a plan on his <laughs> yeah. website or something. It, that's the closest we've gotten, and nobody cares about that. Okay, so let, let's say Ron DeSantis becomes the candidate, and Ron DeSantis, you know, wins the election. What are we, like, as Americans, uh, as humans, what are we hoping to get out of this? What is it, just to reverse a few policies here and there? Or is anyone looking... Uh, you know, again, big picture ideas. Are we getting back to waving the American flag again? I mean, what what's actually supposed to happen? What do people have to look forward to? Well, for me personally, if Ron DeSantis won, ran and won for president, won the presidency, I would be looking for a stabilization of global politics. I'm very concerned about the fact that we are what we want doesn't matter anymore in the global sphere. I mean, Afghanistan falls, Russia invades Ukraine. We're a laughing stock. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, says nasty things about us all the time. We are not listened to when it comes to the energy crisis throughout the world, specifically in Germany. We can't even shame Germany into doing what we want them to do anymore. That's a real problem for me. So I want a stabilization and a return of American dominance, not in us being interventionists, but in us being listened to, in us having a firm position on the world stage. When Afghanistan fell and we lost those Marines, I thought that would be a moment where perhaps, you know, the Democrats would be heaped in shame and then the media would slam them because the media was not happy with Joe Biden. That didn't happen. So to me, that means that the media is now okay with Democrats allowing our global politics and global foreign policy to fall. That's the main thing we have to look forward to. I also think we have the idea that Ron DeSantis will point or ha- or pick a education secretary that is very focused on the type of textbooks that are not filled with ideology that's very leftist and really maintaining parental power within schools. Those would be the two main things. And then the stabilization of the economy and trying to get further investment from major companies in the U.S. and not outside the U.S. But that specifically, I think he has taken from the Trump policy fold because he's very well versed in the Trump policies and will try to bring into his own presidency. Hopefully he can keep Peter Thiel out of the fold because I know he's already been sneaking around Ron DeSantis's circle. But uh, let me let me ask you this one because this is a this is big picture. So I'm always trying to look again why I asked you about the plan. If anyone knows what we want to look like in 20 years or 25 years, because again the people that we would consider to be our enemies, they publish their plans. And I'm not just talking about the left like AOC. I'm talking about Klaus Schwab and you've all know a Harari and the World Economic Forum, which really just acts as the world's chamber of commerce, essentially is what it is. The uh, sort of uh, the talking points goes out to the public and private sectors and how they're going to merge and how they're going to usher us into the fourth industrial revolution, of which we're pretty much in now. But let me ask you, how does not how they say they're going to do it, not what they campaign on, but how does someone like Iran DeSantis focus on how younger kids, even people now stuck in their 30s and early 40s, that haven't been able to save enough to, say, buy a home? Because let's say in this area, in Frederick, Maryland, they pop up these little crappy Ryan homes. They're $750,000. You're not even getting a yard. You have three feet around the outside of the house. So how does the economy change? How does some 
someone like a Ron DeSantis not just talk about it, but actually do it when we're also facing an economy in which people like Elon Musk, who is nothing more than a technocratic transhumanist like the rest of these guys, he just does it a little bit different. He's backed by the government, just like Peter Thiel and the rest of the gang. When they're working towards building robots that people can buy for $20,000 to replace waiters, to replace uh, landscapers, first it was the jobs Americans don't want to do. Now it's the jobs humans don't want to do. So as they're building artificial intelligence and they're building robots to replace humans in the workforce, how do people get there? Does Ron DeSantis eventually have to run on universal basic income? I mean, how does this actually happen in the economy that we're building? Well, I mean, in a position where Ron DeSantis is already president, I would say he has to crack down on how many people are getting government assistance instead of getting a job. And we have to be honest about the fact that everyone is hiring. Jobs are very plentiful. There is no situation where companies are not looking for hirees. If you walk around any major city, you see help wanted signs, towns, you see that. we Ron DeSantis has to make Americans aware of the fact that the lie that people are peddling, or even on the right, that there are not jobs to be had is not true. And when you do that, and then you make it so that people who have been dependent on government assistance, not because they're injured, not because they need it to be their families, not because of that, but because they simply don't want jobs. When you make people aware of that and then you show how many jobs are available, you have to almost shame Americans into going and getting them. Because once you do that, you have the economy bolstering a little more and you have to, you might have to use serious legislative or executive power rather to force companies to stop building in other countries. We might be at a point now where our industry needs American investment so much that we need to use executive power in a way that Republicans may be uncomfortable with in order to keep our economy growing and to make sure our GDP does not go down. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm sure everyone experiences this. Obviously, I go out there, I ask people questions all the time because I'm always trying to find out what's going on on the street level. And so we have a butcher we buy stuff from and his order from one of the farms has been late. It's a warehouse where they have 10 truck drivers and literally five left in the last month two on medical leave who knows what happened uh i mean there's a lot of people getting sick right now and so you see that happening then we have a restaurant that we go to once in a while who's now replacing the waiters with scan the qr code and order from your table and pay at your table and then they just have a runner bring you the food i was talking to the owner i said this is the most horrible thing on the planet i will stop coming here i will not support anti-human technology he said said yeah dude i can't hire anyone i am trying no one wants so hard yeah so i'm i've been trying to figure out what it is now i know during covid a lot of people shifted into gig work working for instacart the grocery delivery app working for doordash working for uber or uber less during covid but people were making a lot of money but the technocrats own the gig companies and now if you go on the national facebook groups which i track a lot people that were making three four hundred dollars a day are all of a sudden making a hundred dollars a day so it's not like those people are just stuck out in the gig world making a fortune the technocrats make sure that you can only make that kind of amount of money for a limited time to basically suck you away from your job but why aren't they going back to here you could work in dc in a restaurant and make three four five hundred dollars a night as a service worker so where do you think everyone went uh we're not still handing out a lot of welfare are we 
I think we're handing out more than we're admitting to. I think Biden is probably greenlighting a lot more checks going out and a lot more of the Biden administration is pushing for increased welfare than we are told or that we're even informed of by our own media. And there's also a culture of people would rather try to start their own businesses. And that's great. Entrepreneurship is wonderful. I think it's great to be an independent contractor to build your own client list. It's all fantastic, especially for young people. But there has been this lie sold that everyone can be an influencer and everyone cannot be an influencer so you're asking why aren't young people specifically going out and getting these waiter jobs people are just are just going online and becoming influencers and going on facebook or instagram and an influencer used to be pushing a specific product or pushing a you know a getaway working with a company now an influencer is taking nice photos of yourself and just posting them and people will send you money for things. And that's, that's really what's happened here. So the influencer economy has grown so much and there's so much money in it. Young people can get enough from that that they don't need to get money from a real job. The problem with that is those jobs don't really come with benefits. You don't typically get health insurance or life insurance or 401k when you're an influencer on Facebook or Instagram. So what you need in order to buy a home, to build up credit, to get a car, to get a lease, those jobs aren't providing that. But real ones, and I say real ones because I don't I don't think influencers are seriously in the real job sphere as much as people who are working in industry are. Those industry jobs are going unfulfilled because everyone wants to be an influencer because it's easy. But when you're an influencer, you don't get what you need in the same way unless you're really high up like the Kardashians or a little below that to build your life and to buy a car and to buy a house and have a huge family. That is really interesting. You know, see, this is why I wanted to talk to someone who is actually younger than me because that that is one that I hadn't figured out. And it and it falls right in line with the gig work stuff, which you see a lot of people from, you know, 25 to 50 years old out there doing that. But again, like with gig work, you're quote unquote an independent contractor. You're actually an employee of DoorDash or Uber. They just force you to pay for your car, your insurance, and everything else. But at the end of the day, you're not actually building any clients when you're doing gig work. If you get thrown off of Instacart or Uber or DoorDash, and they could do it at any time they want, you did not build a book of business. You don't actually have clients. All you did was put 100,000 miles on your car and uh, whatever money you were able to save while you were doing it. And the influencer one you bring up is fantastic. And that has to do with pushing everybody into sort of this self-absorbed, you know, worshiping yourself industry. But that makes a lot of sense to me too so they've got these kids now hooked on this idea that they could be famous on instagram and so like you're saying they trickle them enough money through i don't know what sponsorships or advertising that then they donations and donations so they can pay their bills be able to afford to give their parents some rent while they're living in the basement or they go out and they get a little studio apartment and then the major issue with that is not just the fact that they can't show real income so they can't buy a house or that they might not have health insurance uh, or benefits the real issue is that once they hit 23 24 25 and their influencer role dries up they're done where do they go from there They literally will end up on the street in a tent. Like, where do they go from being an influencer? They have nothing on their resume to ever show anyone, nor any real skills to go actually start a real business. 
And the, you know, when the internet bubble popped as well in the early 2000s, a lot of people were displaced from that. There were a lot of people who had, you know, put everything on that. And the influencer bubble will pop. It will happen. It might take 10 years. It might take five years, but it will happen because it's such a congested amount of people. There's so many people. The field is so dense that it can't possibly survive. And when you see an app like TikTok, for example, and TikTok is also a major one that lots of young people have got to become influencers on. When an app like TikTok comes out of seemingly nowhere and takes over a lot of the business that Instagram had, Instagram becomes a little less powerful. Eventually, there will be enough apps where all the people on Instagram that are really building a lot of their businesses and, and get the main amount of their money from, that app will get smaller and apps fade. Vine faded. A lot of people got in music got their start on Vine. Tumblr was massive in the middle 2000s. That faded. It's still around, but not nearly the amount it used to be. MySpace faded. Apps fade. When that happens, it's usually because people are just bored and people leave and their profiles go down. If it happens to Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, huge amounts of people in this country will be destitute. And that's something no politician is talking about. And they may have marketable, you know, they may have social media skills. Some of them may become people in marketing companies. That may happen. I think it will happen. They might learn a lot of video editing. But a lot of them are just posting pictures of themselves or, or, or videos of themselves with food or whatever. And those people will be victims of the influencer bubble popping eventually. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, and that's the direction that gig work, and all, these companies are all owned by the same people. So the guys who own the gig work, these big technocratic investors are the same people that own the social media platforms. I always tend to believe things are more nefarious uh, so that the goal would be that they lay out X amount of dollars to suck these kids uh, in this direction, and then eventually they're going to pull the rug on them. I mean, you're going to see that, I think, with a lot of the crypto space as well. People that think they can sit around and day trade crypto, eventually they're going to have the rug pulled from them, as you see with a lot of the, the meme coins and stuff that were out there. People that make all this money, they think they're in a good place, and then they lose it all overnight. Uh, because in this digital economy, you're also not holding cash. When you have a, when you yeah. would cash your check and have $1,000 in your pocket, and that had to last you two weeks, Every time you were buying something, you go, yeah, I don't know if I could afford that second slice of pizza. I'm just going to get one. But when you're just using digital currency all the time, you're not really paying attention. It's like tokens in a video game. You're not really looking at your money. Now, do you see a lot of younger people in your space involved in the whole crypto sector as well? Is that becoming more popular? Yeah, it's becoming popular. And there's this idea that if you're not involved with crypto, you're kind of like a sucker or something. I don't think that's <laughs> true. I've seen a lot of cryptocurrencies come and go. Dogecoin was so high and then went away. You know, so I don't I don't really subscribe to the idea that if you're not all in on a crypto thing, then you're a, a sucker. You're not up to date in things. I think you should be knowledgeable about it. You should know how it's affecting the economy. Maybe you do some investments. Maybe you don't. But it is not it is not at this point, I think, sustainable enough to bank your whole future on. And there are people who've made millions of dollars off of it, and that's great for them. But the average young American is not going to do that. And that's something that we're not really teaching. We've sort of glorified crypto to the point where it's how people think they can have their own massive windfall. And in most cases, it's not. 
And in most cases, it's not going to be a super stable um, coin. And that's something a lot of young people don't necessarily want to hear. And it's not fun for a politician to say that. So it's probably that that information is probably not going to get get out there. A Republican politician is going to win nobody over by saying, oh, this do- this crypto coin isn't super stable. This cryptocurrency isn't yeah. super stable. So you shouldn't get into it. That's not going to be endearing for anybody. So, so let me ask you, I know everyone is different, but in the young conservative movement, do you see, are, are younger people still interested in, you know, finding a spouse and having children and, and uh, buying a home like what, what we, people my age would call sort of this traditional, um, you know, culture? Are they still interested in that or are people sort of giving up on that in the younger space? I think a lot of them are still interested in it. There's still definitely a culture of getting married. And I don't know people still buying homes. A lot of people are renting. It's I don't think the buying the home thing is as important as it used to be. That's sort of been interchangeable. A lot of people are just renting apartments or houses. People do move out of their parents' houses. But that idea of purchasing a home as a marker of the future is not something that is as big in American culture. There are people who get married and live with roommates to just try to save as much money as they can. So that home thing is no longer the marker of adulthood but within the young conservative world there is still definitely a focus on getting married and and building families i just don't think it's as widespread necessarily as older conservatives would like to think oh okay so do you think the the homeowning thing comes from the fact that um i mean like like blackrock and these big investment companies are buying up the single family homes driving up the prices they want to turn i mean their plan like i said some people do have 20-year plans is to basically turn everything into rentals do you think it's because of the cost that they can't afford it or do you think it's because of sort of the younger people wanting to be mobile these days and be able to travel and move around what, what, what are you hearing coming out of the younger uh, world there a lot of it is the cost but there's also this other factor of a lot of us think and myself included sometimes why would you buy a house in, in the suburbs why would you go do that why wouldn't you go buy a house with lots and lots of land and why wouldn't you try to build something of your own there's more a culture of buying a house that is in disrepair and redoing it that has a lot of land and trying to have your own farm or trying to have your own um, your own ecosystem there in the young conservative movement than there is of buying a house in a development and just trying to make the payments for that a lot of young conservatives kind of look at that and say how is that a long-term investment in just the safety of a family how is that anything if you're just buying a house in a development whereas if you're going to go and buy a house for thirty thousand dollars altogether that needs massive amounts of repairs but has a lot of land that's a sounder investment that's the point we're at right now Oh, that's good. So you are hearing that from younger conservatives. I mean, interested, Yeah, obviously not buying the Ryan home in a development, but looking out in places like West Virginia and stuff for big pieces of land where you can get a fixer upper or end up building something in the future. That's really good. I mean, so you're hearing that a lot inside the younger conservative movement? Yeah, and it's also something that a lot of conservative girls influence on Instagram. So you'll see a lot of, you know, a lot of girls talk about doing um, canning and making preserves for food and all sorts of baking things. And that is sort of the the culture within a lot of the the girl conservative influencers is pushing that. And there's a lot of people who go along with it. And I don't see it as a bad thing. But if you're trying to increase the amount of young conservatives buying traditional homes in the suburbs or everything that i just don't see that as recovering numbers wise no so who is who is funding the influencers 
that are these young women that are pushing canning and preserve. I find this, this is, see, this is why I wanted to talk to you because I have no idea what's going out there in the younger world. Uh, like, do you know who's behind this? Because that seems like a positive, to be honest. They're kind of on their own. They're kind of just doing it themselves. A lot of them start with showing, for example, they make homemade applesauce. I've seen this specific post. That's why I'm using it as an example. They'll make homemade applesauce and other people want to know how to do that. So they'll show a video and they'll do a reel on Instagram and then people can go buy it. And so there's this whole e-commerce business system that's coming from young conservatism. Um, the same thing with, with different types of dresses. A lot of girls making dresses and selling them and they're sort of laughed at by the, the left as prairie dresses and things, but they're very popular and it's gotten into the overall Instagram influencing market. So you see people who aren't even conservatives wearing them. There is this sort of subculture developing and it's not really bad by anybody because a lot of these accounts are only 5,000 followers or 10,000 followers, but they have massive reach. So they're not purchasing followers and people might not necessarily want to be on record following them, but they are purchasing their products and they are watching them. So there is this subculture developing almost in this homesteading, homeschooling culture. Wow. So, so you're saying they're basically, some of them are basically doing like Mennonite clothes and stuff and then selling them on say Etsy? It's, it's like a little more modern than that. I would say it's yeah. more like prairie dress things and, yeah. um, and just longer conservative things. They're selling them on Etsy. A lot of them have their own online stores. And that's wow. something that when I look at it, I don't see this as a foregone conclusion that we are winning, not winning anything culturally because I see that influence then in mainstream fashion. So that that is happening. It's just taking a long time. And a lot of young conservative women will then follow those influencers. So there is this bigger community. It's just not politically active. So those girls are then not telling people to go vote for like Ron DeSantis in Florida. It's not a political community. So it's a little more ignored by the mainstream media, which might no, be good for them. Well, yeah, it's more of a culture shift. No, I, I think mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Because look, in the end, winning may not be saving America. Winning may be getting enough people to move to a place like West Virginia, building a wall around it and saying, F you to the rest of America. That may be the only option in the end of this whole thing. Because if you say right now, that the numbers favor the left and then the largest numbers not just in young conservatives or people that identify as independent but they also lean socially left you know I, what's it going to do a hundred year plan to reverse it and right. try to change future generations i mean the fact that the progressive ideology it's not the way a lot of people perceive it that you have aoc leftists and they've change the minds of young kids it's like this has been ingrained in uh the public education system and everything over the last 70 years so to be able to just change it overnight is almost impossible and when you have people teaching in the public indoctrination centers in the schools that grew up in that system now you can't expect that those people are going to teach anything different than what they grew up in and learned and were told to teach to the other kids i mean we've already gone multiple generations into this system now. No, you can't. And, and that's why homeschooling is growing so much. I do disagree when Republicans and conservatives just tell everyone we'll just homeschool because that's not an option for a lot of people. A lot of people may not feel like they're smart enough to homeschool. They may need to work. So 
building up religious schools, building up independent schools that are private schools, where maybe you don't have to charge lots of tuition, having co-ops, that is a better system. There is a little bit of elitism sometimes within the conservative movement of just saying, we'll just pull out and homeschool. Because for a lot of young people who have young families, especially, and that's who you're mainly talking to, that's not feasible. So if we, if we pulled back on that a little bit, and we even said, let's invest in creating young private schools, let's invest in having these group learning centers, let's do that it would be very helpful to young families who are now trying to dodge the ideological input from public schools. Yes, and I think people that are looking for these solutions, uh, I wanted to get into the uh, homeschooling because you've been involved with that as well for several years. But what people need to be careful of too, one of Peter Thiel's minions, so Peter Thiel runs what's called the Thiel Fellowship, where he takes somebody in college, offers them $100,000 to leave college, and then they basically work out of his incubator, and then he ends up making the first seed round investment in your company. So there, there's a guy running around now doing what I've talked to you about in the past uh, in private conversations about potentially building an online uh, training academy sort of for homeschoolers. Now, one of Peter Thiel's guys is getting involved with that space. So who knows what they're going to be pushing over there. So people just need to watch out. But here in Frederick County, it was interesting because my wife is um, pregnant. We decided to go the route of a midwifery instead of going with the hospital system. So we're doing a home birth. Uh, We have a doula. It's basically my thing is if I'm going to talk the talk, I have to walk the walk and find ways to live outside the matrix. So that's what we decided to do. And through this, we have met this huge homeschool community. There's supposedly over 5,000 kids in Frederick County, Maryland, in uh, being homeschooled, and they have a giant co-op community. So our doula has three children, all homeschooled from day one, and they get together all the time, multiple times a week with this co-op. And there's one dad who's like a mathematician who teaches math and another dad's an engineer and he teaches science. And so I, I find that to be amazing. It's fascinating. That stuff to me is uplifting because people figured out how to withdraw from that system, but do it in a way that one, they're not going to stunt their kid's education. And two, they're not going to make them socially awkward because they're putting them into a system that involves other kids that are also being homeschooled. Um, I know you have experience in this as well. Yes, and that's one of the things that the left can't really tackle. And you saw them not be able to deal with parents being upset in the Virginia elections with Youngkin. They didn't know how to deal with parents being enraged about not having enough parental involvement in education. And what I found so strange was you have someone like Randy Weingarten works with the teachers' unions out there trying to say parents really need to give their children over to teachers to educate. And then you have this idea that parents are just supposed to drop their kids off and then have no other say within the education system. And after COVID, and I know this because I've spoken with lots of parents who saw this and and educators, after COVID, when parents sat there with their kids and saw the actual educational materials, not the homework that was purposefully sent home, but the textbooks and the daily reading and the daily math and science and all that, they realized, those parents realized that a lot of it was crap and a lot of it was not helping their child succeed academically. So parents have almost lost this reverence for teachers that teachers had for decades and have lost this idea that teachers can never be questioned because they're these great public servants. And there are some great teachers out there, no doubt. But there are a lot of really crappy ones. And when you have a situation where parents have lost the built-in respect that they always had for teachers, which makes sense that they've lost, 
they get in a place of being industrious and homeschooling. And that is something that's growing. And the left is very worried about if we have an area where we are freaking the left out, I would say it is in the growth of homeschooling and the complete lack of care about what we say about te- what parents say about teachers anymore. There was this idea that if you hate on a teacher, then somehow you're, you know, hurting them or, or you're dis- discounting their life of service. That's not there anymore. Those teachers aren't protected in the same way. And that is something that freaks the left out. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, you were homeschooled, correct? Or partially homeschooled? For a part of it. For part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have, I know there's a lot of people that listen uh, to this show that are interested in uh, homeschooling. So do you have any tips for anybody on that? Any resources? I know you were in the process of working on a project the last couple of years involving homeschooling for people that want to find out more about uh, going in that direction. I would say my main tip is you can't have isolated children. So even if you're not in a place where there's a co-op, even if you're not in a place where there's a lots of homeschoolers, because you might be a parent that pulls your kid out in LA or in, or in New York City or somewhere that you don't have this great homeschooling community. What you need to do is you then need to put them in, specific, in activities outside of your house because you don't want them, as bad as it sounds, you don't want them to become weirdos. You just don't want that to happen. So you want to put them in yeah. some sort of, you know, whether that's music classes or painting or something because there is a truth in that homeschooled kids have in the past not obviously not everywhere but there has been a lack of social understanding that has gone along with that at least in the past that stereotype was true for a a while and you want to keep finding that back because every time a homeschooled kid goes out there and is a functioning member of society you're disproving the mythology that the left has pushed and that you know even parts of the right have pushed that you need that that complete k-12 education to be successful yeah, on the right, we like to make fun of the weirdos that sit inside their phone all day, and then when you try to communicate with them, they're very antisocial. So you don't want to end up with one of those because you lock, uh, had your kid yeah, locked yeah. inside the house all day. Yeah. So what, Now, let me just ask you, uh, before we wrap up, on that note, though, what did you use or what did your parents use as the basis for uh, like the traditional subjects? Were you using like a, a, cl- a classical learning method? I think we were just using, um, uh, they were like state textbooks and things. My When we did homeschooling, that was just because we were moving and everything. So we were using just basic math, science, history books. But at that time, I I think that was, I was probably in middle school. We didn't have these textbooks that were as filled with this type of leftist ideology. That is also another point. This big push for leftist ideology is within the last five years. This was not as a parent when I was in school. We had grade docking. We had teachers saying nasty things, but we didn't have this overarching oppressive feel that is existing now. So when you're doing homeschooling now, I would say probably not even to trust the state textbooks in the way that my parents could in the past when I was in in middle school. Don't trust that. Create your own content or go to a co-op and ask them what they're using because there is a real push even in in state textbooks and with common core standards and everything to fill the textbooks that homeschoolers are going to use with the same stuff you're using in regular public school. And that's a trick of it that hasn't been exposed before. Now, Now, let me just ask you, is that, because I haven't looked at that 
that stuff in a while. I know you've been interested uh, in homeschooling and obviously talking to young conservatives that have just come out of their teens. What is this type of stuff that we're talking about in realistic terms? Is it all of the gender bending, hating yourself because you have white ancestors or uh, constantly trying to push uh, black Americans into believing that they're victims for the rest of their lives? Is that the type of stuff that you're seeing the propaganda being pushed through the public indoctrination center books? It, it's some, it is some of that, but there's also massive revisionist history. So you have a situation where you're just not learning massive blocks of, of historical timeline. For example, when I graduated high school, the textbook we were using, and this was years ago before we hit the massive wave right now, my textbook only went up to 1999, and it was 2017. So we're missing a massive amount of time, including 9-11, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, the mass, you know, all the falls of the countries that have happened since then. So you're you're seeing revisionist history you're also seeing stop gaps of you're not going to learn this period of time you're not going to learn that period of time and then you have things like word problems for example get taken in and what they do to word problems is they use gender language within them so even a math question that's long division for example will then have some sort of ideological overlay and that is something parents have to watch in state textbooks and even textbooks from just your school district or learning materials from your school district because it doesn't make any sense to pull your kid out of public school and then use the same material they were using in that public school to homeschool. Yeah, and I dealt with that in my former life. I had two uh, stepkids, and I actually saw, because I was really hands-on, and uh, the older kid was going to uh, a magnet school that was like the best... Um, uh, one of the best schools in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was amazing to see the coordinated propaganda across all the different subjects going on at the same time. So in his math book, he would have a problem uh, talking about like, there are five pillars of Islam and then this, this, this. And then in his history book, he uh, had a lesson where he had to go out and recruit his classmates to join Islam. And so he had to go online, which ended up leading us to an ISIS recruiting website at the time, and literally pull propaganda from there to go recruit students. And it was like in every subject, science, it was all in these different books, but you would never know unless you think like me or you or Maria Albanese, where you connect the dots and you use critical things. You go, wait a second, how at one time does he have five different subjects and everyone is pushing this message and this was with gender stuff all types of things but it was always like this coordinated effort you're like wow this is not just some organic thing some little mistake something they put into one book they're actually using a coordinated propaganda campaign they are and they do that in multiple areas whether that's history or english or math or science and there's also this effort of you fill educational materials with so much of that and yet i never had an economics class in 12 years of, of, of schooling so <laughs> how is that possible the only reason i ever had a government class was because i took it as an elective senior year so you have all of all of this ideological stuff and then i could have graduated high school without a government or an economics class and that to me and i also took an entrepreneurship class as an elective so i could have graduated from 12 years of school with no economics government or entrepreneurship class and that's the norm for most american students and then we wonder why people are communists and socialists it's yeah. it's very obvious why that's happening it's unbelievable i mean when i was a kid the the boys took industrial arts they had to learn how to use tools how to uh fix stuff around the house and the girls had to learn how to like 
make an egg and use a sewing machine and and you'd say well you know why would we do that today i'm like listen i still go around the house and fix stuff all the time instead of having to pay somebody to do it you know i also cook because i learned how to flip eggs back in high school as well but i'm like these were basic things to be able to survive in your household without having to rely on getting everything from a restaurant or buying processed food all the time and now these things as far as i know are just completely removed from uh the school system so you're not even educating people on the basics of life they don't teach people how to balance a checkbook anymore because you don't have checks but at the same time most people don't even check their bank account uh they realize that fraud was committed against them seven months later because they're not even keeping track of what's supposed to be in their bank account no they're not and that's also why you have so much money every year waste on subscriptions people are no longer using (laughs) I mean, you could have $160 for one month and like 300 for the next month for a subscription you didn't even know were there. And that's, there, there's no class that teaches that. There's no general economics class. And that's something that Republicans don't really call for. They call for a lot more trade schools, which are great. I think trade schools are awesome. But you don't really hear Republicans say, hey, why don't we have an intro to taxes class? as a seat for seniors and you know what make it a situation where you don't have to pass it because maybe that's a lot of stress maybe there's a lot of students who feel like they already are terrible at math and they will fail that class they don't want to affect their gpa if you offered an intro to, to taxation class for yourself for high school seniors that was not a, that was not a a passing or failing thing it was just an attendance situation you'd have a lot of enrollment in it and you wouldn't have the stress that goes along with it for a lot of students but that's just not going to be offered at this point in american education yeah well there's, there's a lot of things i don't even believe in but it's part of our society now like learning how to get a mortgage and how that works i mean they should be teaching that in high school going hey listen 10 years from now you might want to get a mortgage this is how it works hey you're going to have to uh manage your uh, college loan if you go to college this is how it works hey this is the basics of how wall street works this is how a 401k works oh no no i'm saying oh we didn't have that i'm saying these are all the things that are completely missing that if you're in a homeschool atmosphere you could be designing a curriculum that you're teaching this to a kid by the time they're 12 or 13 years old and they have an understanding of how the economy operates by the time they're 13 when they start looking into things that they're interested in when they're in their teens and deciding on what's actually going to pay the bills as they get older the problem that we're facing now though i think is that with everything moving so quickly because of the advancements in technology once we hit that um exponential growth of technology the skills you may have today may literally be gone tomorrow they may not be needed anymore that's part of the problem i think we're facing it is part of the problem we're facing and that is why it's important to have new skills offered to young people all the time. There isn't really this I- idea anymore in America of, of having a constant skills class available to young Americans. And if that was something, for example, Ron DeSantis, president, would champion, he might win over a lot of those left-leaning social independents who may be socially liberal but really benefit from the job training they're getting, which is free, which isn't really costing people anything. It's probably a lot of volunteers who want to help out but until you have a system like that you're you're just not going to have a stable economy for young people in this country yeah well i think one of the other things is either like whether it's ron desantis or anyone else there has to be honesty with the people and either you have to admit that we're really in the which every ceo says we're in the fourth industrial revolution right now you either have to admit that we're there and say that the with the technological advancements a lot of jobs are going to be lost um 
with artificial intelligence, a lot of jobs are going to be lost. And either you have to be honest and then tell people what you really need to be focusing on teaching young people is adaptability because they're going to have to change professions 55 times during their lifetime. So you either have to teach this skill to be able to adapt to quick change, you know, or you have to call for an international ban on a lot of these technologies and artificial intelligence, which isn't going to happen because the United States government is funding so much of it. I mean, you can go behind the CIA, the military, DARPA, NASA. I mean, they're funding most of the advancements in artificial intelligence and robots and autonomous vehicles. It'll take truckers off the roads. So that that's where I want to see honesty from some politician who's actually going to come out and talk about what's going to happen to people, not just young people, but everyone in five to 10 years. If you're building an economy that's going to replace 50% of people. Now, you can say go to school for STEM and become an engineer or a scientist who's going to help build this new fourth industrial revolution society. But guess what? Those people are going to be out of a job too because the robots and artificial intelligence are designed to end up replacing the scientists and engineers and the programmers. So somebody's got to start talking about this if they're serious about what we're really facing. That's just what I think. Yeah, they definitely do. And not everyone is great at STEM. I'm not great at STEM. So it's just it's just always been so short-sighted. Just join STEM. Okay, what if you're terrible about that? Would you tell everyone to just join opera classes if that was the future of the nation? Just join your opera classes. Just join musical theater. Not everyone is good at those things. It's sort of strange when you tell teachers that they get very hostile. Well, you should be good at STEM. You've been taught everything. Why, why would we all be good at one thing? Isn't your whole ethos of the left super individuality? It's just, it's never made sense to me. Yeah, and if you're a young conservative, would you want to get into STEM if you knew the truth that you're basically going to school to learn how to program humans out of existence, basically? I mean, between synthetic wombs, designer babies, and uh, optimist robots by Elon Musk, I mean, you, your job is... Well, th- this is part of the big push coming out of the government now, and I've analyzed several uh, speeches by various scientists inside the government, is they're talking openly about how they need to get the civilians on board with the idea of this transhumanist movement. And I'm saying, well, why would they need to get all the civilians on board? They could just do whatever they want. We don't push back, really. There's really there's never going to be an armed revolution against this. Well, I think what they need to do is they're trying to get the young people that they had go to school for STEM, when they bring them in and tell them, to work on this project and work on that project, they have there's still people that have morals and values and principles that may say, I don't know, I don't want to work on this. So they have to convince those people to get on board with basically engineering humans out of work and engineering humans out of existence. Because anyone who believes that an Andrew Yang or an Elon Musk is going to come along and hand out UBI to you and let you sit home and eat bonbons on your couch while uh, you send your robot digital twin to work, that's not going to happen. You can ask people what they did to people during communism. See, that's what the communists here don't understand. Once you don't work, once you're no longer an influencer, you don't get to sit around and do nothing all day. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I mean, do you think younger people understand that or no? That they don't get to sit around and do nothing? Or do you they think the communists ones They don't even know that's an issue. They don't even know that's an issue. They don't even know that there, is, there might be a point where they're obsolete. They might think that the people at Walmart who are the baggers, and it's a super elitist position, but that's what they think, they might be obsolete. But it would never occur to them that as an influencer, pushing a type of a brand or pushing an idea, idea ideology, that they might be obsolete one day. It would just never occur to them. 
All right, so before we run, let just tell me, if I want to change directions and become uh, a TikTok influencer, what should I be pushing if I want to get the big money? Well, I would definitely say you're going to need to pick a lane in pop culture. So one thing that you could do is you could start reviewing albums. That's something that's really big right now. So you could tell everyone what the biggest flop of an artist's career for songs was and what the biggest hit was. I know I always enjoy watching the ones about Selena Gomez and Taylor Swift, but that might that might just be because I love those two singers. Wow. So that that actually, those people have a lot of followers. People get a lot of money for that, like a ridiculous amount of money for that on TikTok and especially YouTube. And I was thinking if I start going pro technology and saying it will be cool to get an Elon Musk brain chip in your head, it'd be cool to have a robot replace you, and it would be cool to upload your mind to the cloud, then I probably could make a lot of money in that space. But you're also going to need to have some robots, though, because like it's one thing to talk about robots, but it's another thing to like be able to show people robots. People will respond to that, especially if they can name the robots and ask the robots to do things for them. Massive oh, so I have to have robots. All right, I'll have to start robots. building. All right, I'll start building. A good thing I went to school for industrial design. It'll finally come in handy. It's all, all right. out for you. All right, so where do uh, you want people to follow you? I know you're, you don't look like you're as active on Twitter these days as you once were. I, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, but you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-H-G-D-A-L-E-N-Rose on Twitter. And if you go to the link in my Twitter bio, my Instagram page is there as well as my YouTube page. And I do regular uploads for my YouTube channel, so you can watch all my videos there. And my show airs on Twitter on Friday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can tune in there as well as on my Instagram page to keep up with all my work, especially for Trinity. Trinity International is on Instagram as well, and they have a great profile for young conservatives or Christians who don't want to be isolated on their campuses anymore okay and then uh your show on the mcfiles network is that the one you distribute on twitter that that's my own personal one you can go to the mcfiles channel on youtube where chris mcdonald is the host of the mcfiles and my show airs on his platform and it airs pretty regularly about once a week there you can check out all of his shows there as well he has been a great friend for several years he produces really good content Okay, fantastic. Anything else you want to add to the conversation before I let you go? I know I kept you a long time. (laughs) No, it's fine. I would just say that as we get up into the the run-up of midterms, we're in the last couple weeks now, even if you don't necessarily like a candidate, one of the things to look for in this candidate to, to figure out why you don't like them, because if you don't like a candidate, you usually don't like them for a reason. I would just ask people to go look at those candidates' backgrounds because quite a few of them currently running used to be leftists or never Trumpers. And that's something that the GOP's kind of quieted down this election cycle. And I understand why. But if these people win, and I hope some, I hope a lot of them do because I want Republican control of Congress and the Senate. If they win, we as voters need to be able to keep them in check. And that's something that comes from knowing their backgrounds and anticipating what they will and will not vote for, which we send them to D.C. to do. Now, if I don't want to vote this time, can I send my robot to vote for me? I don't <laughs> think we're at that junction yet. I mean, I would check back in in like 2026. 2026 that's what i'm thinking all right well thank you very much we appreciate you uh spending your time over here and um i will put all the links and everything in the uh episode description and we'll get this out to everyone so thank you very much we appreciate your time perfect thank you so much for having me on all right ladies and gentlemen thank you you are listening to the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold and i am dustin gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep
keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. <laughs> 